was your compliment? Oh, the dead McDonald's well. Well, the diminishing McDonald's. Was against the ball. Let's say. On the balls, spoilers. And the godfather. And the godfather one, two. And the godfather one, three. Uh, was the spoiler. Hello, welcome to this week's episode of Diminishing Returns. We're going to take on an all-time classic trilogy this uh, week. In fact, possibly one of the most famous trilogies ever, perhaps. Certainly one of the most uh, well-reputed films to start off with. It is, of course, The Godfather. And with me here to discuss it, uh, we have Sol. Hello. And Calvin. Hello. Now, let's just preface what we're going to deal with here. We're (laughs) We're going to go through the whole trilogy. Um, as usual, and then we'll do our own pictures. Um, but I suspect, based on little bits of conversation we've had, that none of us are really big fans of The Godfather. And I think this is going to end up being a controversial episode because of that. Um, so, shall we just throw that up front right away? Yeah, this was your choice to to do these films. So, why did, why did you subject us to that, you... <laughs> <laughs> Because I'd already watched these. I'd already like put the effort in as a film student. I'd already sat through all six hours of this, or whatever it is. Nine six hours. hours? That's nine generous. hours. Yeah, it's close to nine. Even yeah. nine is generous. <laughs> Ten, maybe? Yeah. I'd, I'd already endured this. So why why <laughs> did you feel the need to subject me to it again, Alan? Well, you know, we do have a duty of responsibility to the listener. Um, and by I say listener, I mean listeners. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> So I, I must say, this is, along with next week's episode, weirdly enough, this is uh, one of the big fan requests we've been getting since we launched the show. I think we've had, yeah, we've had quite a few people actually just ask about us doing this one. I mean, we you, you can't deny just how big the film is and its reputation. Um, and, you know, so obviously it has been one of those that's been requested. But, yeah, but I don't really get that. Why would people want... Because people want us to talk about it, presumably because they think, oh, we're going to fawn over it and say lovely things like almost everyone <laughs> does. And where, where's the interesting, you know, discussion in that? I, you know. Well, I don't know. I, we Usually we have a better discussions if we have differing opinions. So let's see how it goes. Yes. <laughs> we all just slag it off. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think... I think um, well, before I get into that, actually... Um, the reason I chose it, uh, because obviously it was it's a classic of Hollywood cinema, so I think it's a good one for us to do. I think there's going to be a nice discussion about it. But also, it was a good excuse for me to watch them again, because I haven't watched them for years. And I my memory of it was, hmm, that wasn't as good as everyone seems to make it out. So I thought, I'll give it a chance to watch it again. And, and I can't say my opinion's particularly changed. I don't think it's a bad film at all, but uh, all of them. I don't think they're bad films, but I just... I don't really understand why they're so highly rated. Mm. I'll skew more negative than you, Alan, then, because <laughs> I don't think the first one... Uh, sh- should we should we compartmentalise this into the three distinct parts? Yeah, yeah, I think yeah let's okay. do that. Yeah. So, so looking at the first one, it's generally regarded as uh, 
the greatest film of all time unless you're talking to someone who thinks that's the Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> or Citizen Kane. Citizen Kane. <laughs> but it's but it's one of the big heavy hitters mm. generally tops these sorts of BFI and American Film Institute lists yeah. and what have you. It's number two on the AFI list, I know that for yeah. sure. And I believe it's number two on IMDB ever since the 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 coup around the Dark Knight in two thousand and eight. Are you aware uh, of this? Uh no. what's number one on IMDB at the moment? Shawshank, I believe. It used to be the other way round, but then The Dark Knight came out, went to number one on their top 250. All the uh, Batman fanboys went crazy, like making accounts and voting it up. And then all of the Shawshank Redemption fans were like, now's our chance, now, get him, get him. And they all like logged in, voted The Godfather at like one out of ten, Shawshank ten out of ten. And there was this really weird thing going on on the message boards where they basically seized the top spot in the chaos and they're still there now so yeah that that shows how much meaning you can uh, put into these lists I suppose how how could anyone care that much (laughs) it's odd isn't it I I like the IMDB ratings it gives you a good impression of how a film is kind of generally accepted out there in the world and it's interesting to see how that correlates with your own opinions but uh, Mm. to take any sense of pride in that (laughs) <laughs> for a film you're not gonna i don't really get that this is the thing like i if anyone was going to care about meaningless statistical it would be you lists and ratings, <laughs> it would be me and I, I don't give a shit if the you know what's a number one like for, come on anyway my point is of course you can go to dimreturns.com to see uh our top rated <laughs> films no shenanigans there <laughs> I mean, yeah. I think Moana's technically our top-rated film of all time. Which... It's, uh, I think it's Alien at the moment. Oh, which is quite okay. well deserved, I think, yeah, out of all the yeah. ones we've covered. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, what I was building to is this is generally regarded, depending on who you ask, as one of, if not the greatest films ever made. Yeah. And if that's the case, then I, I don't know about you guys, but I clearly don't understand cinema. So <laughs> we should call this podcast <laughs> quits. <laughs> yeah I, I i kind of agree with you to yeah to an extent I, I don't know like um just last night actually i finished watching part three and i tweeted about it just to sort of see what kind of reaction i would get uh i, I just said you know along the lines of just finished watching all three godfathers i appreciate they're very well acted and very well shot but by god are they boring <laughs> and sure enough a lot of the reaction was uh, a lot of the negative reaction to that tweet was from people who were sort of saying, oh, well, come back to it in a few years, or, you know, Ugh. when you grow up, you'll watch it. <laughs> I'm t- nearly 28. Because, uh, <laughs> but it, and and it, that annoys me that there's no good uh, discussion that comes from saying you don't like The Godfather. It's just people automatically write you off and say... Until oh, now. No, Until now, <laughs> yes, yes, quite. Well, can I can I immediately launch a, a, a slight defence uh, here? Um, okay. In that I think that we are very much missing something by the fact that we're watching it 40, 45 years later. Like, put this into its put this into its time, and it was really the crest of a wave of the new Hollywood, of this new artistic, really genuine, creative uh, mm. filmmaking that was coming off the back of the 60s, like, where everything where it was very commercial. Like, the golden age uh, before that, which was really commercial... This was this, and it comes along with like you know, Easy Rider, Midnight Cowboy, um, the conversation, even like that kind of Chinatown, all this stuff, um, 
French Connection, all this this much sort of better cinema that was a huge European influence coming in. And this, I think, was kind of the culmination of that with a story that everybody knew because it was a very f- well uh, uh, famous novel that, that had really sold well. I think if we at the time it was in this huge bubble, and for some reason that has not popped and it's it's lasted. Mm. But I think for us as a, a different generation coming into it, we don't quite see how different it was and how how good it was at the time. I don't know about that. I can still put on my uh, context hat and like I can watch something like Citizen well, Kane, it. which I think is a brilliant film and entertaining. Oh uh, well, I, I mean, I I genuinely find Citizen Kane thoroughly entertaining even by modern standards but i i can watch something like uh easy rider that you just listed alan many of the films you just listed i can watch and i do have to apply a a degree of context to get them but i i can certainly appreciate where they're coming from and i just there's nothing about what what i will say is firstly this is not an experience of mine that's been unique to the godfather films this is something i have across the board with francis ford coppola so I do wonder if I just don't get him. This is something I wanted to bring up. Uh, the most overrated director of all time, Francis Ford Coppola. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I mean, God. His yeah. reputation his reputation really is based on Apocalypse Now and the Godfather films. Let's face it, yeah. that's what he really sells it on. And all those films are overrated and also were famously completely chaotic and he had no control of yeah. what was happening. Yeah. So- Hearts of Darkness, <laughs> the making of documentary about Apocalypse Now is a vastly superior film to Apocalypse Now. Oh, really? Oh, that's interesting. How come? I've never seen Apocalypse Now. uh, Well, Apocalypse Now is shit, and I, I'll, maybe we'll do an episode on it at one point. But like, I, I can, I can fight that corner very well. I, I can tell you why that film is a fucking state. Doesn't do the book justice. Doesn't work on any thematic level. It is bullshit, and I don't know what people see in it other than maybe two or three scenes are quite good. The Godfather's similar, but not as bad. Not as strikingly, obviously bad. Dracula, his Dracula film is appalling. Oh yeah, I've seen that. I didn't care for it. And the only film left on his filmography that I've seen that is by default the best film of his that I know is Peggy Sue Got Married, (laughs) which is a a passable (laughs) rom-com kind of thing. Uh, Yeah, I, I, I... don't think very much of him at all. He's part of his style, like, he's one of the few filmmakers I know where he's very adamant about adapting source material, which is why, like, above The Godfather, it's, you know, whatever his name is, um, Mario Puzo, The Godfather, it's Bram Stoker's Dracula, and I I, I don't know how much I agree with that. Like, his his argument is that, oh, well, the artist is the the author, the true, you know, creator of the thing, so we must represent his vision on screen. I don't know if that's a healthy way of adapting... Uh, source material with with Bram Stoker's Dracula. I always just assumed that that was the their method of dis- making a distinction between it and the Universal Horror Dracula, the Hammer Horror Dracula. Oh. It was their way of marking it out as its own thing. But you might be right. It might have just been down to him. I I mean, what I will say is Apocalypse Now is based on a book, and I don't think it's generally marketed with the author's name anywhere. Sure, yeah. Oh, interesting. And he okay. shat all over the source material in a lot of ways. <laughs> um, I think it's more Marlon Brando's fault than anything, but he certainly like, well, let Marlon Brando... Apocalypse Now is, like, famous just, it was just a, a chaotic cocaine fueled 
heart attack inducing 18 month <laughs> shoot of nonsense so uh, <laughs> i mean a lot of marlon brando's films have been like that actually the island of dr moreau that we were talking about before we started recording is another very similar story with just chaos and things going over budget and over schedule and mm. but apocalypse now was in a state before marlon brando even arrived on set i don't think he turned up till like they've been filming for months so god yeah. Okay, so... Anyway, The Godfather. Coppola, <laughs> shit. Um, and I mean, <laughs> I mean, his career has borne that out, you know. He has, <laughs> He's been doing, like, experimental films in Romania or something, hasn't he? See if you agree with me, but I, I would say, basically, the film's greatest asset is its acting. Um, oh, yes. Almost... <laughs> yeah, almost without fault, really. Do you, what, do, but the acting is excellent, right? Yeah, I I, I don't know. I, I one of my big complaints with the first film and reasons I don't get it is I much like Francis Ford Coppola, I don't understand the appeal of Marlon Brando. I think he's shit. I I haven't what? seen I'm yet to see a good performance from him and I'll 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 concede I haven't seen A Streetcar Named Desire. Have you mainly seen his work when he's like the size of a house? <laughs> yes. All uh, oh, right, okay. And couldn't be asked to learn the lines and was reading oh, yeah, literally Superman. reading them off the body of the actors in the scenes. Uh, which <laughs> which was going on in The Godfather. Oh no way, really? Yeah, and, oh, I, and I think I think this film is every bit as lazy a performance as he's ever given anywhere this there's no there's nothing about his performance here that's any better than it is in the island of dr moreau or superman he he's wandered onto set for obscene amounts of money for very little work he's mumbling his way through scenes i mean what i'll say is there's nothing wrong with his performance here but the idea that this is some incredible performance that's you know, meant to be up there with the all-time greats is ridiculous. And and like I say, he he literally is reading lines off of the body of actors and scenes. There's several scenes mm. where actors are stood really awkwardly because they have got pieces of paper taped to their chest, and you can watch his <laughs> eyes darting back and forth as he reads well, them. If if that if that's not a, you know a criteria for best actor Oscar, I don't know <laughs> is, uh, which he won for yeah. it, which but, best actor, not even best supporting. James Caan, Robert Duvall, and Al Pacino were all nominated mm. in the best supporting actor category that year. I mean, that's insane. But Al Pacino was not happy about that <laughs> that he was for supporting, and it it doesn't make sense. I'm not like for the film, that is just the bullshit. We we Academy Award nonsense. Like let's put him into this yeah. one. Let's put him into this one. It's the same with like uh, you know William H Macy and Fargo, for example. Like that. But um, it's just nonsense because this is very much Michael Corleone's story. The whole trilogy is. But in in yeah. uh, in defense of Brando, this is kind of where that started. That what you, you your real kind of classic Brando, old Brando. And so in when he did it in this, it was embodying a character and, and bringing something to that. And then he just went like, oh, I was not get away with doing this now. Just fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> so. and, and it carried on yeah. in everything he did. Like, uh, I'm sure we will do The Island of Dr. Moreau at some point because it's oh, I hope so. hilariously <laughs> fascinating. And his antics... Well, they certainly didn't help the film. Uh, I'm not going to blame it squarely on him ruining it, but um, <laughs> Val Kilmer certainly... had a lot of blame. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of blame too. But even in Superman, even in Superman, where he had like ten lines, he was reading them off the baby, and I'm not joking. He there was literally a piece of paper stuck to the baby in the scene where he picks it up as he's talking. I can't blame him if I. 
if I had the sway that he had, I, I'd probably do that. But I, I, I can blame him because the man had made enough money. At this point into your career, you should either be doing it for the sake of other people, like helping their career, people enjoying it, or you want to make legitimate art. If you're just mm. turning up to cash in a, a an obscene paycheck for two minutes' work, and like, fair enough if you do that once or twice, fair enough if you take the Samuel L. Jackson approach of one for you, one for me, but if that is what your career becomes, and that is all you become, then no, I'm sorry, that's that's pathetic. Like, what? Why would you do that to yourself? It's it's stupid. At least look like you're having fun whilst you're doing it, if that's what oh, you're doing. Oh, come on, he's having so much fun! I was about to lead on to the fact that he's hilarious here. <laughs> I think he's really funny all throughout. Like, his death scene is hilarious. I I thought it was a really good comedic performance. Is it meant to be a comedic performance? I took it as such. I thought it was just funny that this doddery old man who's like mumbling his way, you can't understand a word he says and he looks befuddled most of the time and He's See, the head of this huge, <laughs> important crime family. I thought that. Was I agree funny. with you that I find it funny, but and I might be wrong here. Maybe this is where I've been going wrong all these years. I'm fairly sure this is a meant as a, a deadly serious film. Oh, oh, Alan. Well, you don't. You'd think it's a comedy. Well, no, I don't think it's a comedy, but I think that character is intended as you know. Um comedic. I'll go so far as to say I think there's an element of very dark comedy about his death that's perhaps <laughs> intentional, but mm. that's it. I don't think there's any real... I think his performance is meant to be menacing more than anything. I think, yeah, for the most part. Yeah. Men- menacing? Yeah, it's supposed to I be kind of how it's intended. coldly huh. quiet and chilling. Yeah. And like we see- Maybe I've just seen too many parodies, because obviously that performance <laughs> yeah. is the go-to gangster parody isn't it yeah and i and i agree like i find him funny in this film but i don't think he's meant to be remotely funny i don't think that was intentional he was my second favorite thing in the film like there there wasn't enough of my favorite things i mean i'll agree with that yeah like the scenes with him are by far i mean what what i was leading to before actually is and this is true of this series really whilst i think on the whole this is a really boring film and there's not enough about it that works there are a handful of scenes, individual moments that mm. are wonderful, and I kind of wish someone else had edited the film, even <laughs> like just to kind of play up those moments. Because, as you say, the the scene where uh, Marlon Brando's godfather puts some orange peel in his mouth and then dies is is a great little scene. <laughs> I don't know. You have to sit through two hours of like family politics and. <laughs> <laughs> just while, while, while we're um talking about the cast uh just in broad terms could we talk a little bit about diane keaton because she's the one who yeah. like really stands out to me from this cast as like what what are you doing here but i guess she wasn't the diane keaton she became at this point was yeah she? yeah i agree she she does just seem a bit out of place in that world. And she, you know, that's, that, that's not to take away from her at all, because she does give a very good performance. To be f- oh, the yeah, chari- like the character is supposed to be out of place in that world as well, though that's mm. kind mm. of the point. But I think that's I think that's a retroactive um, view of it, because at this time she hadn't done much, had she? She hadn't mm. done Manhattan, she hadn't done Annie Hall, crucially. Mm. I will say, um, broadly over the course of the series, it's the... Um, Diane Keaton Al Pacino scenes that are my favourite thing. Like the whole relationship between Michael and Kay is the thing mm. that really hooks me into the whole 
uh, trilogy, and th- th- but there's hardly anything of it in the films until maybe the third one. Yeah, their their scenes are um, generally some of the standout moments I'm referring to. Actually, mm. I think it, I think it, it feels the most human, and especially in the second and third film, I really like the uh, Michael's sister, uh, Connie. I, there's something more human when the women are involved in scenes because when it's the men and they're doing all the bullshit big ball talk and talking about who they're going to go and kill and business and stuff and it just all washes over me because they're talking about people that I haven't seen yet they've not been introduced on camera they're talking about the businesses I'm not interested mm. it, it, when the, the women are on screen it feels a bit more human and grounded mm. I'm, I'm going to dig into my notes here I've deleted a couple okay. that we've already covered so, uh, so number one I've got pretty good theme tune <laughs> the, yes the, the music's actually really quite good uh for all the complaining i've been doing so far see i was really annoyed by it in the first film by the third film i came to love it i think i like not the main theme but the waltz that it, it uses the same melody uh and generally plays during weddings i think i hate it because I, I went on holiday to sicily last year and there was this annoying little boy who went you around with this accordion throwing oranges <laughs> No, he he kept playing playing the Godfather theme all the time. Like every night, we went out in this like small little town to a restaurant. And so that's definitely for the tourists. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's for the tourists. Like he'd come up and like hold his hand out for money afterwards. Bearing in mind, I'm there with two of my mates, and he comes up and starts like serenading us with this Godfather theme, and it's like, but go away, boy. So yeah, then my next note is can't hear anything. Mumble, mumble, mumble. <laughs> I think we've sort of covered it's that. It's really bad, isn't it? It's like. Yeah. What the? F- yeah. It's not it's just like- Marlon Brando, as well. It's it's a lot of them. <laughs> oh, it's mainly him. It's, it's like, mainly the, him. On the documentaries on the DVD, they were talking about like all these filmmakers were saying like, "Oh, we, you know, Francis's vision was perfect," and there were all these studio bosses that were complaining about no one can hear Mar- uh, Marlon Brando. He's mumbling and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, yeah, he is. The studio executives <laughs> are right. You should have redubbed him with someone else or just not cast him at all, which was the studio executive advice. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, and now more praise. See, I'm I'm being quite positive here because this is the start of the film. I'm going in with an open mind at this point. I haven't decided that I was right the first time. So lovely color palette. Yeah, it's the um, it's the wedding that the film starts. Each mm. film seems to start with a wedding and yeah. end in a massacre. That is how each film is bookmarked. Uh, and and the weddings are, uh, I guess, it's a good device to introduce you to lots of characters because there are so many people in this family, and it's good to see. Like, I did have to Google the family tree every now and then to see who was who, especially in this first film. <laughs> as much as I hate weddings in real life, I really like a wedding as a plot device. Um, I've, yeah. I've come to realize recently. And okay, so um, cinematography then it was very innovative, and it's it's very dark. Uh, for my money, it's it, kind of it goes sepia. a little bit too dark for my taste because it's it kind of everything's lit directly from above. It's uh, and it is it does give the film a style. It gives it a look, and yeah, and it is it kind of got sepia. Look. In the second one, they just do it sepia in the in the in the nineteen hundred section, nineteen nineteen or whatever it is. In fact, you know the look of the film. Um, we, we've referred to oranges a few times already in this uh, record, actually, but. Uh, for those who don't know, the there's a running motif in the film, allegedly. I think I've heard conflicting information as to whether or not it's intentional, but whereby mm. whenever an orange appears on screen, it's a signifier of impending death. And mm. uh, that certainly does stand 
true for much of the franchise. There's, um, there's just a lot of oranges, though, that's all. But that's it. One of the things I've read is that they were just putting oranges in scenes whenever they could to brighten them up, because it was one of the few methods <laughs> they had of putting some colour into the shot. So wow. it just kind of coincidentally happens that you end up with a load of oranges in frame when people are dying, cause, or about to die, rather. I mean, it, let's say it's true, and they did it liberally, it still means nothing. There's no, <laughs> there's no thematic reason to it, so it's still a pointless bit of information, even if it's true. Uh, okay, yeah, so now he has to grant wishes on his daughter's wedding day. So this is the big famous thing. <laughs> he's not granting wishes like a genie, he's just <laughs> he's doing favours. <laughs> <laughs> How disappointing would it be if you got the lamp thinking Robin Williams is going to come out? If it was actually Marlon Brando. He can't remember the rules unless they're sort of like taped on a bit of paper onto your forehead or whatever. <laughs> He's oh, really God. lazy. Oh man, that'd be like, yeah, the the ironic wishes are granted, but they're only ironic because he's too lazy to do like a good job of them. <laughs> so like the a little girl gets the lamp and wishes for a pony, and he just like. St- Tapes a mask to the dog. Okay, so I'm still on board with the film at this point because my next note is this is fine so far. <laughs> <laughs> is this all the stuff where like yeah everyone's coming for her uh, for favors? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would say favors I... other than wishes, but I do like the idea that he's granting wishes. Um, and now my next note is starting to get bored of this wedding. Get on with it. And then hmm. so slow, and uh, that's it for the wedding. Have you got anything else to say? <laughs> uh, no, except it introduces us to Michael. And now, okay, so the whole plot where I thought it was going to go is that Michael is the son of uh, Vito Colleone, the Godfather, and yeah. he's like a good. He's trying to be a good American citizen. He's come back from World War Two, fighting in the in the army and stuff, and he does not want to go into the mafia business. He does not want to go into the family sort of um, family business. So this sets it up to me as a fall from grace and sort of you know being seduced by this underworld and all this darkness and whatnot. It doesn't really play out very much um, during the film, mm. and I think we'll talk on later. Um, I, I think we miss key moments where Michael's uh, opinions change and his outlook changes. I don't think there is one definitive moment that we see on screen where it's like, click, Yeah, he's not the Michael we were introduced to. Because he seems to go along into the Mafia thing quite readily and uh, without much coercion. Well, if I can if I can jump in there, because um, that kind of raises something that I, I thought that the basically the structure of this film didn't work for me. That was my kind of yeah. only problem with it. And I, I, I got the impression that was because it was from a novel and they were kind of clumsily trying to break it down into something smaller. You know how these things happen. But I would I would say that this story is Michael Corleone going from like the kind of the innocent I'm getting out of this family business to being drawn in and and having to be kind of morally corrupted. And that point is the end of the film there is when he kills the the Turk and Sterling Hayden. And yes. and that is the that is the moment. And that's where you end the film, or maybe not literally there, but then you have the kind of the the sort of fallout after that. And then the sequel would be him going from now I'm in the business to the head of the business because his fa- his, his brother gets killed, so he has to step up and yeah. then he has to make the ultimate sacrifice, which is kind of killing um Tessio and, and killing his sis- his sister's husband because they've 
they mm. kind of turned against him. It's killing people who are close to you. That's that, and and, mm. and that's the change from uh, okay, I've been corrupted to pure cold-blooded killer, and now I'm the boss. That's two separate mm. stories, and they they buttered them together, put this whole Sicily thing in between, which was completely irrelevant. And oh, you could we'll you could that, take yes. that out. <laughs> you could take that out of the film as it is, and it wouldn't make any change to it. And in fact, if anything, it makes you think less of him as a character. Well, structurally, if, if anything, I felt like I was watching an abridged miniseries. I felt mm. like I was watching episodes of a TV show where the more episodic bits had been cut out. Yeah. Uh, and, and it was being stuck together. I, I think maybe maybe the novel would work better as a TV show. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I was thinking that when I watched it. And are you familiar of the... There was quite a famous mini-series edit of the first two Godfather films that oh, I, th- I, I think it was called that. The Godfather, a, a novel for television or something like that. And it's huh. it's basically the first two films re-edited into chronological order with huh. some deleted scenes put back in. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I was struck watching it that I think it would fit that format. Much better. Are you familiar with The Sopranos, which fits that format quite well? Oh, I love The Sopranos. I love The Sopranos. Obviously, you know. Well, my next note is that there is a comedy sound effect on the aeroplane landing after the wedding scene. Is there? What's that about? I don't don't remember an aeroplane. I don't know what you're talking about. There's a shot of an aeroplane landing, and there's a little, like, (laughs) when it, like, lands on the ground, like a little cartoon skid. (laughs) That might just be bad foley work. I don't know. <laughs> it's really weird. This is the bit when um, Robert Duvall's character goes to visit the um, the Hollywood oh, producer, right, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And this is the start of the whole famous horse's head sequence. Make him an which, off Does it have much bearing on the rest of the film? It's just to demonstrate their power, I guess, and their 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 stretch okay. of their influence. Because it's a very long diversion just to sort of demonstrate what they're capable of doing, and it doesn't even. I can think of worse things I could do than that. Well, that's kind of what I was thinking. I was like, I mean, yeah, I mean, I get that some people like horses. I hate them. But, uh... <laughs> <laughs> ah, so that's why you didn't like Crank. <laughs> this is the bit when Marlon Brando is like, he goes <laughs> to get some fruit. I loved it. He goes over and he's like, yeah, give me some of that, yeah. And he goes over just like squeezing oranges and then uh, some guys come out of nowhere and shoot him in the back many times, but he still survives. He's like Michael Myers. <laughs> I shot him six times. <laughs> oh, I've got another note, actually. Uh, they keep calling people Gumbas, which is really funny. <laughs> Do they? Yeah. Oh. Throughout the film, they're like... Didn't pick up on that. They're like, what are you doing, you Gumba? I didn't oh. pick up on that either. But... I'll tell you a scene that I really liked. Um, it comes shortly after this, where Marlon Brando's in hospital and Al Pacino comes up and he figures out that there's going to be another attempt made in his life and he has to like move the bed around and he's got the nurse with him and there's some nice suspenseful moments in there with like footsteps coming up the hotel, the hospital corridor and all that kind of stuff. I, I, that was really working for me. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, it's a good. It's a good... <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm reading his Gumba quotes. <laughs> the one. Oh God, there's there's the. Uh... The one where the guy just goes off on a on like a tir- like a racial slur tirade about um, I don't care how many Dago Wop Guinea Greaseball Goombas come out of the woodwork. <laughs> oh God, Goomba. is Goomba a racial slur? Then I assume it is, or does it just mean like your nincompoop? It but... must be fairly I, I don't tame know. if it's you know. 
But yeah, I like, I like the hospital scene as well. It was very suspenseful. And like, you got that moment mm. where they're waiting on the stairs and there's this other guy with him who we don't know who that is. Or like, we, we, mm. we kind of do, but he's not a character. And he's just shitting himself. And you starting to think, mm. is he going to be involved in this? What's going on? And then it's just sort of this yeah. very tense, if anything, slightly anticlimactic, but that kind of works because yeah. it sets up the next thing. Um, yeah, because this is when Sterling Hayden's character comes into it, isn't it? Uh, the corrupt police captain. And I did, I did like that, you know, the guy punched him and then he like broke his jaw and he's like swollen up for the next six months. It's like, that's quite a, le- well, that's yeah. like a legit, like in films, you don't usually get that idea. They just sort of have a slight red I name. wondered how much time has it passed because I was very confused by the bruise on uh, Al Pacino's cheek for most yeah. of this because I'm like, I thought a lot of time had passed. I don't know how long it takes a broken jaw to heal. Even but... when he was in Sicily, though, yeah, it was still a bruise, wasn't he? So before Michael goes to Sicily, and I want to get on to talk about that bit specifically, the next sort of standout sequence is when he kills the police captain and another guy. Mm -hmm. Um, How do we feel about that scene? That's like an often parodied, quite iconic sequence. Al Pacino's in the restaurant and he has to kill Sterling Hayden and the other guy, so he has to go into the bathroom and get the gun and... That's quite a decent moment. But yeah, again, I, is, like, yeah, I like that. And this is what I say, like, this is the scenes, like the hospital scene, that feel well-directed because they're all well-paced. Yes. And because mm-hmm. you don't know, is he going to do it? He, he fumbles around with the gun and he's like... And then I like mm-hmm. how they keep reiterating to him, like, just shoot and drop the gun. And he doesn't. He shoots, he walks out and then he goes, oh shit, I've got to get rid of the gun. Like, all these little elements that kind of make it feel very real, very human, yeah. and you identify with this character mm-hmm. who's made a major step in his life and, like, made this, this huge thing that he's just he's done uh, but also like there's a sense of pride to it because he's avenging his father and all this sort of thing it's um mm. yeah i like that scene i think it works really well and, and it's it's put together very nicely yeah so the whole sicily section i i don't think it doesn't add anything to the story right because ultimately when he comes back he hasn't changed in any kind of fundamental way mm. even though something very dramatic happens to him there it doesn't really change his character so what we really need to see in that bit is what's happening elsewhere which is essentially Sonny gets killed and that's why he has to come back yes. so then we have this whole big section in Sicily where he's he's on a little walk sees a girl he's like oh my god I'm in love let's get married which annoyed me yeah. no end <laughs> like the, the whole sort of <laughs> love at first sight thing is just annoying anyway but it, it, it makes his character seem superficial weak kind of yeah. simple and then are we supposed to get some sense of great tragedy when she dies? Because it's almost like a relief. Like he's suddenly not got this. He's not tied to Sicily anymore, and he can go back, kind of thing. Or yeah, I'm not mm. sure what all that was about. I'm not sure what I was supposed to take from it. It, it made me like the character mm. a lot less, especially because you left lovely Kay back in New York. Yeah. It's not like they broke up. He just buggered off and yeah. left her there, and then he goes back to her later yeah. on. And yeah, so exactly. like, well. Never mind, you know. There's another one waiting for me. <laughs> yeah, and but if he, but that scene would still work if he'd just gone to her and said, "Oh, hey, I'm back," and she's like, "Where have you been for five years?" And he's like, "Well, I had to disappear. I killed somebody." <laughs> um, like that would still work in yeah. the sense of she's like, "Oh no, I'm not sure. I trust you. I don't want to take you back." Like the fact that he'd fall in love with someone else or whatever that was supposed to be didn't matter. Is it the the only thing that I could take away from it? I'm sure there are people who've dissected this film frame by frame and understand what the meaning is behind everything. But about this whole sequence, the only thing that I kind of took away from it is that it's supposed to show that he can't escape it wherever he goes. Like, even if he thinks he can go and live a humble life in Sicily, it's going to catch up with him eventually. Um, uh, but, uh, but even then, that doesn't really work out because Sicily, it's like, you're not going to escape the mafia <laughs> yeah, that's in the worst Sicily, place, yeah. are you? Plus, it's, it's, <laughs> uh, 
he's there to hide. He's just waiting till the dust blows over. You know, he's not. He's not. He's not mm. gone there to get away from the life. He's literally escorted by two bodyguards all time. Like it's that's not an escape. I don't think it's supposed to be. It's just a, a hiding place. I don't know. I'm not sure what it was supposed to show us. So uh, Marlon Brando dies. Yeah. Which is hilarious. Probably, probably my favourite scene in the film. It's so good when he puts the orange peel in his mouth and then he's like grrring ah. at the kid and the kid is like obviously very frightened. <laughs> and at one point you can tell that Marlon Brando's like, oh no, 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 no. He's like trying to calm the kid down a little yeah, bit. Yeah, the kid isn't acting at all. <laughs> it's just... <laughs> I like... Yeah. Even like... He... You can tell that it's being, like, this is, you know, the camera is zooming from quite far away to capture this. You do get the feeling that they were just left and then everyone else is, like, you know, 30, 40 metres away. (laughs) Yeah. Because even after Marlon Brando collapses and the kid just goes and squirts him with DDT. (laughs) It's just like... (laughs) (laughs) But I like that. It was a very natural thing a child would do. It felt really real and and organic. And so that was good. Yeah. There are a lot of good... um, yeah, child. I, don't, I hesitate to call actors, but there's a, the children are screaming in many family scenes, and uh, you know, women are like passing them around, and they 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 all look really natural in it. All helps. those big wedding scenes and things, it did just feel like they'd set up a, a wedding and like, all right, there's a band playing, come and yeah. dance, and like just do whatever you want to do, and it's, yeah, that seemed quite legitimate to me. It probably was. What What do you mean? You mean you mean Capola? found like a, a tax break to like hold a wedding and write it off as a film expense. Yeah, probably did. Yeah, this is all yeah, been about. I can see that. So yeah, so um, James Khan's character is killed uh, by yes. the rival gangs because they've been sort of in warfare for a, a while now. And so that compels Al Pacino to come back because the next sort of son in line is a bit of a useless twat and so <laughs> it's gonna fall Fredo, to yes. michael to take over the family mm. uh, and because he's kind of proved himself now that he's by killing people uh he's sort of m- more respected in that sense so he comes back marlon brando sort of starts showing him the ropes basically doesn't he once marlon once mm. Vito is sort of back up and on his feet but he doesn't want to run the business so he just sits there while Michael does it. Everyone who's talking to Michael just goes straight to him and goes, will you, will you tell him? He's not doing what we want. And he's like, ah, oh, so mm-hmm. Michael's the boss now. And then, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's the, yeah. the passing of the torch, I guess. Yeah. Then he dies. And so there's nothing in the way. Like Michael is just the boss. Is, is that the end of the film or did something else happen? Pretty much. Well, he massacres all the other um, family heads. Yeah, well, the, well, the ones who had gone against them, they sort of they find yeah, out what, yeah. work out what. I really like the final scene of this film. Mmm, me too. Which is uh, an Al Pacino, Diane Keaton moment, as we yes. were talking about. I think it, 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 it makes me wish the whole film was about that. <laughs> yeah, same. It's, it's a, a really strong moment. Yeah, because she's like trying to, she's basically getting out of him like, you're not really going to go into this whole mafia thing, are you? And he's like, no, 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 of course I'm not, of course I'm not. And then he ends up going into the room at the end of the corridor and it's obvious that people are asking him for deals and stuff and they're kissing his hand and whatever. And the door slowly closes on her. I think the last shot is Diane Keaton's face with the door Mm -hmm. sort of closing, isn't it? Which I think is really powerful. Probably would would have been more powerful had that relationship been tracked a bit better throughout the film and that whole conflict of her not wanting him to 
go into this line of work and you know maybe expanding on the fact that he loves her and uh, you know not marrying other people is that so i think we've covered the first film pretty well we we ready to dive into two god two father <laughs> <laughs> only 2 years after the first one was released this one came out. Godfather Part 2, uh, well known as one of the greatest sequels ever made. I My comment about the first one was that the structure wasn't very good. Well, this one, boy, it's a fucking mess, isn't it? <laughs> this, this structure. <laughs> I mean, it is literally two films that they've just smashed together with no regard yes! for anything. When I first saw this film, I, I rented it. I think after the length of the first film, I was very aware of, God, I'm in for a long movie. So I, <laughs> I, I near the start, did the little thing where you change the timer on the DVD player from counting forward to counting <laughs> down, just to see... <laughs> I think just out of interest to see how long it actually was going to be. I, th- I think I saw like, oh, it's only like two, two and a half hours. That's not so bad. And it was counting down. And I was thinking, you know what? I've enjoyed this one relatively well. It's certainly been a lot more enjoyable for me than the first film. I'm on board with this. It's told an all right story. Oh, this final scene. This is excellent. Uh, this brilliant ending to the film where where De Niro kind of takes control of of the the you know he, he kills this guy who's been harassing everyone yes brilliant what a great end to the film then up comes please insert disc two <laughs> and I was absolutely fuming I was brilliant. so angry and I I put I I swapped the I think it was the same disc even or maybe it was an actual second disc I swap it round I hadn't realised there was another disc that had been sent out. There's like another hour and a half. And it's it's like the film... I was content with that as the film. That could yeah. have been the ending and I would have been perfectly happy with it. But they just keep going. Mm. If you're going to take these two stories, intercut them with each other. First of all, you need to intercut them properly. Not just do, here's a 40 minute chunk, here's a 40 minute chunk. Secondly, the stories have to complement each other in some way. But but Vito's Vito's story is about him coming up. Vito's story is more akin to Michael's story in the first film. Whereas Michael's Mm. already the boss... And it's more about it, and it's this whole thing about the Cuban Revolution that it's trying to tie it into. It's really bad. It's a bad film, uh, and obviously there are great elements to it. The acting's still good, all this, but the structure of the film and the plot is bad. I mean, the thing I'll say is, I I think this is far better than the first one. I think I'd agree no. for for all the I wouldn't faults, and I I agree that structurally it is messier. Oh, but yes. the first film's not exactly got good structure anyway, so, you know, whatever. Whilst I'll agree with that, there are a hell of a lot of scenes in this film that I genuinely enjoy and do genuinely mm. work, and it is, it's kind of like wading through a sea of bland shit to get to these little nuggets. But straight off the bat, you replace Marlon Brando with Robert De Niro, so th- an actor who I think shit and gives a lazy performance for a wonderful actor. And then Marlon Brando... <laughs> <laughs> I think Robert De Niro is a huge step up, and I like Al Pacino in this one. For whatever reason, I, I didn't get anything from him in the first film, but I, I this feels like a proper Al Pacino performance to me. So the cast, I'm I'm far more on board with. And the the arc of well i guess de niro for me de niro's story is the one that i'm most interested in here the, yeah. the young rise of uh, of uh, corleone and, well, de niro, uh, 
De Niro's is the one that I follow. I don't, I don't really understand a lot of what's going on with um, Michael's story. It, mm. it meanders and it goes off on weird tangents. And it's about trade he's doing deals things and that things. Yeah, exactly. Mm. It's like Star Wars Episode One. <laughs> uh, Robert De Niro's story, I can get behind. It's like, I get it. He has come over to this country and there's this guy in the neighborhood yeah. causing trouble for everyone. He's going to sort him out. And then he sort of slowly becomes that man. And I love his scenes with for the most part. I love the scene where that he's asked to speak to that guy, the landlord, who's raising the rent, and yes. and he goes and has a word with him, and he just sort of says, like, you know, hey, you know, uh, maybe you want to let the woman live there for the same rent, because maybe I'm, I'm a guy, if you speak to some people that you don't want to fuck around with, yes. just saying maybe, and then the guy comes back and he's, you know, suddenly terrified after yeah. speaking to a few people, and it's, it's just pitched really well, and mm. it's, it's what... It, it upsets me to be honest because there's I see in this film in the De Niro scenes the potential for a Godfather film that I love and I'm yeah. completely on board with to the point that everyone else seems to love them mm. but it's just watered down with all this unnecessary stuff and mm. and you know that's not to say there's nothing good in the Al Pacino scenes mm. because I, I do enjoy the abortion scene for example where once again he and Diane Keaton have a big fall out and mm. um i just kind of wish they'd kept them separate and given us two 90 minute sleek films that aren't just completely, completely bogged down with yeah and, and, and like like we say it's the fact there's no thematic link between the two there's no purpose for them being cut together it doesn't mm -hmm. justify like they don't complement each other they don't work as two halves of the same whole mm. i think i didn't even see it as nicely as that because the Vito story for me, I didn't get very engaged with it. I didn't. I don't like him. I don't like him as a character. Uh, he's not a nice person. He's he's just sort of manipulative. He doesn't give much character, so it's not like he's much to like about him, even as a bad guy. And I don't know. I, I think as a young him, I think the young version is kind of he's innocent enough for the most part that you can kind yeah. of buy this sense of he's trying to make the best of a bad situation for his family and looking after them and I, I do kind of to a point sympathize with him certainly more than anyone in the first film there is the occasional little flourish like there's the bit where he comes back from a day's work and he just like puts a pear on the table for his wife yeah. and she comes in and she's like oh that's really that's a lovely looking pear that's really nice and he's like yeah it's and what about Michael's story then? Uh, so it, they tie it in with this a sort of huge event, which is the Cuban Revolution. And that is very much based mm. in reality. You know, there was a big uh, mob presence in, in Cuba. It's one, yeah. one of the things that was uh, sparked the revolution. Yeah. So it's all very mm. much tied into this reality. And I think in 1974, that would have been a bit more relevant. Like people would have known that. Cuban Missile Crisis was like less than 10 years before and all that sort of thing. I think we're losing a little bit on that just because we're not, as culturally close to it. Uh, well, that was it. I felt like it was relying on me knowing what was coming yeah. about the whole Cuba thing. Like, I know about the Cuban Missile Crisis, but I'll be honest, I didn't know the exact dates of the Cuban Revolution. Mm. I didn't know how it went down necessarily beyond there was one. So when the, Michael's talking about his, you know, business dealings with this other guy, um, what's his name? Roth? Yeah. Is that it? Hyman Roth. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, 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 and he's saying, oh, I don't think I'm going to invest in you, actually. I think these uh, these rebels might be onto something. And then, obviously, they, yeah, take over. And there's there's some nice moments in it. And, you know, Lee Strasberg is really great. That's interesting. Mm. That's interesting to see him. And he's playing a character that's sort of based on a real person. So there's a lot of sort of truth to it. 
But what's the actual journey? It's, it's, it's Michael. Michael's emotional journey, which is what's important, really, is that he's just slowly deading himself to the world around. And, and like, the ultimate being he kills his brother. You know, that's the ultimate sort mm. of, that's the, the where he, he, and it's the end of the film, really, isn't it? But it's the switch from a, a hard, cold-blooded killer to killing blood. And that's, it's different. Mm. It's, that's a, it's a big step. It's how they kind of drag it out, though, because he realizes yeah. that Fredo is the one that tried to have him killed, and then he they sort of go away and they're separate for a couple of years, maybe. And Michael says, "Well, I'm not going to kill him while Mum's alive." And then Mum dies, and then he has him killed. Mm. But, uh, but wouldn't just... it have been great if you had this tense thing where he knows that his brother has betrayed him, but he can't do anything mm. about him, and he can't tell anyone, and he, he has to live with him, and he has to let it, he has to watch his kids play with him, and his feeling is this betrayal. Mm. But then he thinks, "But he is my brother, and he is just like." He's a sap, and you know, like, and when they have that, yeah. they do have that kind of scene, and he, you can you understand his motivations for why he did what he did. You understand he was taken advantage of by people who were using him. There was no real intent yeah. behind it, but Michael has to make this decision. Well, no, you still have to pay the price, and that scene mm. is great. But like, I wanted more of that. Like, let's see Fredo living in the, fa- mm. in the with the family and having to work, and he's having to, yeah, like rather than just avoiding him all the time. Yeah, yeah, completely agree. And then the film ends with a strange flashback sequence that I wasn't expecting, with James Caan coming back to reprise the role from the first film. There's like a birthday Yeah, scene. and I guess it's harking back to innocence, really, isn't it? That's the sort of... It's a yeah. moment of him just looking back. Because now out of the Corleone kids, there's really only Michael and Connie, his sister, and that's about it. And she has quite a few scenes in this film, actually. She's a sort of destructive character, and yeah. the actress was nominated for an Oscar for this particular film so probably deserves some recognition it helps yeah I, I guess she she's the director's sister as well so i suppose that if you're the director's sister you get a better role in the <laughs> sequel what about his daughter uh, that that leads us on to god three arthur just before we get there i just want i just want to um did you know that marlon brando was supposed to come back for this flashback sequence at the end of the um, oh, really? end no. of the film Yes, uh, and he'd agreed to return. He wanted five million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was a he was no. Apparently, he felt mistreated by the board at Paramount for some reason that wasn't apparent in my research. So he just didn't turn up for the. He was only supposed to be on set for one day, and he just Classic didn't turn up. Brando. So Coppola had to rewrite the scene on the on that day. <laughs> just cut the scene. It is very unnecessary, isn't it? I don't know. It, it, I suppose it is. It's like what Alan said. It's Michael harking back to yeah, more innocent times. Just cut cut the film an hour and a half earlier, to be honest, and call it a day. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I guess we need to move on to Godfather Part Three. Mm, yes, yes. So it was a it was a cash grab. Uh, there's no, uh, there's no pretense about that. There was no hiding of it. It was pretty much that's that was its um, appeal. Kind of astonished hearing that. Is Co- Co- Coppola like really open about that as well? Has he admitted that? Um, I don't know. Uh, certainly, other people have been because the the reason Robert Duvall wasn't wasn't in it was because he asked for too much money and they didn't want they wouldn't refuse to pay it. And when so people questioned that, were like, oh, you should have done it. Like, it's The Godfather, you know, it's one of your most famous roles. He was like, they were doing it for the money. So don't come at me saying I... <laughs> like, <laughs> That's interesting. I wondered why he wasn't in this. 
this is often looked back on as this complete trilogy and this three-part story, but do bear in mind, this this was made like 20 years after the first two. Mm-hmm. Mm. So it, it really was a kind of Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull situation. It, it mm. was just like they're going back to the well. Well, I, I, I kind of, I do like it because they push it, well, even further into the future, actually, but they make him like, oh, now, right, now he's older. Now he has to deal with different things. And I like yeah. that. I like the concept. Whereas Indiana Jones is just like, oh, he's just he's seventy now, but he still does exactly the same things. Well, he had a dodgy hip, didn't he? <laughs> or did I imagine that? Maybe he didn't. <laughs> no, I don't think he did. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, 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 I've got a really controversial opinion here. I guess. Uh, <laughs> Are you going to say you like this film? <laughs> it's your favorite I, of the three. It, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if it it's were not, not for... it's not my favorite of the three because I. I would take the bits I like from the second film above this, but in mm. terms of which is the most coherent, best-crafted film, I think, genuinely, I think this is the best film of the three, in terms of how it's put together, mm. the story they're trying to tell. This is a coherent, relatively well-structured, compared to the other two, narrative. It, it follows a, yeah. a simple through-line. It doesn't particularly lose track of what it's trying to do and it, it I think it does it fine. I think this this would be my favourite were it not for the uh, ruinous performance of Sofia Ooh. Coppola in a very yes. important way. Now, role. do you think there was maybe a little bit of nepotism at play? <laughs> <in the podcast? laughs> no, I don't know. Just, I don't, just a no, theory. Just an open got. casting, she happened to be the best. That was <laughs> <laughs> do you think there was and, a bit of ne- nepotism behind um, Carmine Coppola being the composer for this one as well? Or like Nicolas so? Cage turning up in his films and stuff like that. Why isn't Nicolas Cage in these films? Because uh, he was too busy being Nicolas Cage. Can we all lay into Sofia Coppola now? <laughs> oh, God. Well, this, this, her performance is phenomenally bad. Mm. To the point that I can't watch the scenes without questioning how Al, like how angry Al Pacino must have been <laughs> that that's what he was put up against yeah, to work it, it, with. And it makes me think more of him as an actor that he does as good a job as he does with her. Because mm, mm. he's given nothing to work with from her. <laughs> it, was, um, it was supposed to be Winona Ryder. She was cast. It was oh, really? all going through. Uh, and basically, she dropped out at the last minute uh, okay. um, for, for to go and do to do Edward Scissorhands. Um, Good choice. And yes, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and um, so Sophia Coppola was drafted in as a kind of last minute replacement, and like nobody thought it was a good idea except Francis Ford Coppola. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it seems, and and uh, well, yeah. I mean, that was borne out, and then. After it was shown to test audiences and she was completely derided, they ADR'd some of her dialogue. So they tried to kind of re-perform it in, oh a, in a better way. <laughs> uh, so uh, and even so, obviously that didn't work. You either. mean we're watching the improved <laughs> version? <laughs> yes. Jesus. Her delivery's so lifeless with everything. It's oh my god! It's so weird. Well, I think the I think the the uh, redubbing of the dialogue was because she basically has a valley girl accent, uh, and so they were trying to trying to cover up where that sort of popped out too much. (laughs) Isn't it weird that Francis Ford Coppola like cast his daughter in such a highly sexualized role? 
Like she's I really. Was, kind I of... did think that in the uh, when she's like rolling bits of dough with Andy Garcia, and mm. it's like you've got to do this. You're doing this. In, that is really gross. That's because it, it, she <laughs> everything she does in this film is sort of meant to be kind of seductive. You know, it's it's just kind of odd to watch it, knowing that the dad is the one in charge of putting it together from that point of view it's is very odd any kind of sensuality was ruined for me by the fact that it's effectively cousins that are romancing each other it's well there's really that as well weird. yeah <laughs> and um, that's not like something you have to put together that's like that's the big problem of the relationship yeah that everyone keeps saying like will you stop shagging your cousin <laughs> <laughs> it's quite yeah I love the arc in this one that the whole idea that you know Pacino is is trying to make it as a straight guy who's, who's gotten out of this business and he's pulled back in as he says and <laughs> obviously that is a theme that's explored in in the earlier films but again i just feel like it's done properly here they actually mm. kind of focus on it long enough to to well, I li- do it i like the it? yeah there's um the, the, the idea of an older man having to look back on his life and like dealing with the consequences mm. of what he's done like that people have died because of him and i, I like that yeah yeah we've we've spoken about this in an earlier episode about how i i seem to have a thing for aging up characters and having them deal with what they are as old men mm. and and i think i spoke about how the only version of bruce wayne bruce wayne as opposed to batman that i find compelling is one from batman beyond when he's an old man and he can't quite do what he does anymore and mm. i think that's part of what i like here i like seeing the character as an old man trying to make amends for his actions mm. in life and come mm. to terms with what he is and but even this is corrupted because he's making amends he's giving money to good causes and things like that he's trying to he's trying to like he's putting things into religion he's he's putting his yeah. his uh kind of faith in the afterlife because he's fucked up the real life but even that is tied in with some very nefarious business dealings that's going yeah. on and and ends up with like slaughtering people and uh, killing the Pope, in fact. That's it. I like that, you know, his best attempts are still very dark and not quite... It's a good mm. bit of conflict for me, that. I like that. Mm. Mm. And 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 just like the first film, this is tying into real events uh, at the Vatican. When John Paul I became Pope, he was Pope for about 30 days and then he died. And there's a lot of rumour about, the, oh, was he actually killed because he he came into power and was suddenly, uh, you know, saying, all right, we're not going to do that, we're not going to do that. Mm. And, and he was piss, pissing off the wrong people. So it's one of these, like, all that is kind of speculation. But this is very much tying into that and giving a reason for why, what happened. Obviously, the Vatican is up to all sorts of dodginess. So, um, mm. uh, <laughs> so it, 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 I quite like that it ties into that yeah. and this reality behind it. I see. I yeah. I like that element in this one, and also this is this is the most Al Pacino-y of the lot. It's it's <laughs> it's the film where he's really given a chance to just like do what he does, and, and yeah. again, I like that. I love Al Pacino. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, uh, what about the bit where um, is they they realize they're an hour into the the film and they realize that there's not really anything too dramatic happening, so they have a helicopter fly up and kill everybody. <laughs> I love that scene. I nice and that subtle, was... isn't it? <laughs> it's an interesting scene. I, I I admit it kind of feels completely tonally out of place with yes. everything that's happened up until then, but it's more interesting than like yeah. 
pretty much anything that's happened in the franchise up until that point, <laughs> so I'm all for it. It woke me up. <laughs> that <laughs> it's and a Andy, good scene. That and Andy Garcia biting off that guy's ear, or whatever he did, that was yeah. another one that <laughs> yeah. made me sit up. But yeah, the story that really does kind of... It becomes about Andy Garcia's character, which yeah. is... And again, it kind of feels like we lose a bit of focus on like what we're actually telling with this story. Mm. And obviously, it's supposed to be similar to our Michael, but... Yeah. He's not the same character. And- I really mm. like their relationship, and I, I like that he's this kind of, like, the whole, like, what the fuck do I do with this problem child? I'm, I'm trying to accept him because family's important to me and everything, but he's he's fucking shit up for me. He's causing me real trouble. He's, he's That boy ain't right. <laughs> but, but also, he's not he's not like Michael was, because he's not, like, this innocent who gets drawn into the family. He's like... Come on, let me go kill some people. Come on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I love that. <laughs> so he's, he's like itching to fuck shit up for them. Yeah, so, so he's not seeing himself in him. He's trying to sort of save he's trying to save him. He's trying to hold his family together with this this fucking wild card that he's forced to deal with. That's basically what it comes down to. He, he, this guy is introduced who's a kind of powder keg and he clearly knows is going to cause him trouble and does and I think it's a really interesting dynamic because he, he he's sort of trying to mentor him, but it's kind of a futile effort, and I think mm. he knows that. And that that whole the whole final sequence um, is, is there anything before this? Before I go into the ending, well, I, one thing I did want to just mention was like again, it's a bit like in the second film, but we have this this girl. This what is she supposed to be? At eighteen, and she's got a crush on her cousin. Mm-hmm. and Sophia he's just Coppola. like yeah and he's yeah. just like okay I'll play along with it she's quite pretty I'll, I'll, I'll have a bit of that she's my cousin whatever but we, it's like we're supposed to buy into it as this great romantic tragedy this kind of star-crossed lovers that aren't allowed to be together and it never it never works I Are never we? buy no, into it no never and I, but if it was played more like okay it is a, a, a teenage crush and it's really important to her but not to everyone else. But it is like everyone's talking as if they're legitimately going to like be getting married and stuff. It's like what we were talking about was it, 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 it just I just didn't buy into that at all, and it felt yeah. like that was an important part of the motivation. Mm. To be, be fair, I didn't buy into anything she did or said <laughs> whatsoever. So, did Sofia Coppola want to be in this film, or was it like a really embarrassing like dad, and she didn't want to be in it? And- she she was very much like you know I don't I'm not. I can't act. I'm like I'm not an actor or anything. So I think it was. She was a bit, yeah, freaked. She was scared. She was terrified of it, basically. Because I, you know, I, I think she's she's certainly produced um, as a writer and director some very good work. I'm a big fan of some of her films. So she's oh you know, yeah, she's of course, not yeah. she's not um she's clearly got some awareness of like mm. how the world works you know she and, and and what is and isn't a good performance i suppose as well because mm. she's working with actors to to produce good films and stuff so yeah but yeah she she is one of the worst performances i've ever seen in anything so it's horrible <laughs> it's it's, that... it's sub tommy Wiseau, in fact no it's not come on no it uh, is because yeah, it is. because tommy Wiseau <laughs> has got some weird semblance of like madcap energy about what he's doing <laughs> and and that's what and if you if you hear tommy Wiseau day to day like that weird 
bad acting delivery of his lines is how he talks. That's that's just how he know, is. Yeah. So so yeah, he's I just, actually I met him the other day, Solo himself yeah. quite well. <laughs> More on that in a, a few weeks, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. So it's it, so possibly the most ruinous thing about the film is that the whole ending mm. sequence is well, built around that character, that Sofia Coppola character, getting shot. Yeah, but you don't need to buy her performance to buy the it's upsetting to Al Pacino. Oh no, I do. Because when when she is shot and she (laughs) falls down to her knees and she says, Dad, and then falls over, and then everyone else is like acting their tits off, like screaming and all this. Well, I was going to say, Al Pacino, he's really bringing his A game in that (laughs) scene. He is going full Pacino there. And 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 I think he does a good job. It's a fantastic scene. Oh, I was laughing all the way through. I couldn't. Oh, no, he's great. I thought it was hilarious, the whole thing. I probably would have been all right with it more had it not been for Sophia. Maybe I would have been more into it and bought the over-the-top camp that Al Pacino's doing. But I, 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 just... I bought it well enough to... like. I, I think Al Pacino's great. And no, I, I, yeah, I think I he kind of sells that, it. Yeah. He does yeah. his part of... If, like, that's, that was my note. I'm, I'm flabbergasted at how well he acts opposite her consistently throughout the film. And I mm. guess he is just a a master of his craft. Oh, he's a great actor, don't get me wrong. And I don't think it's his fault. I think, honestly, if he'd have done this exact same thing and the actress that died was better and delivered that last word with some with some sense of skill, I probably yeah. would have been really behind this. Well, I don't know what that last word's meant to convey. That's the problem with that. I don't Dad. know what emotion... <laughs> we're meant to take from it because yeah. it is just it's flat and emotionless she says the word dad and it, uh, i don't know what that is she meant to be shocked sad she doesn't understand what's happening uh betrayed this but like what 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 are we meant to be taking from it mm. she's 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 saying it's her it's her like appeal for help it's like what is what it? does a child a child does in trouble they they run to their father that's what she's doing and he's powerless to help and not only is he powerless to help but he's at least partly responsible for it and it breaks his heart and it completely destroys him inside it almost comes across as if she doesn't even register that she's been shot and she's trying to continue and then that's kind of how i took it yeah but I don't. Well, I, I don't. I don't know how. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm putting that meaning onto it as how I would like it to mean. I'm not sure how <laughs> she was doing. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Um, that that whole finale sequence, though, the them at the opera. I like all of that. I really like yeah. that whole sequence of the people sneaking around, setting mm. up these assassinations. I liked it, but they really dragged it out. Oh, I was so I was so bored by the end. Well, uh, I could no. say that about the entire franchise, to be honest, but. Like compared to the other scenes in this series, that's one of my favorite things. Overall. Oh yeah, I, I, I really like it. Certainly, most entertaining, most uh, yeah, just well crafted. I, 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 in fact, I don't think I do find it that boring. The theater stuff. I think I find it quite. It just went on too long for me. I was sick of it. There are some nice little things going on. Like there's uh, what's the name? The sister, Michael's sister, is given that poisoned cannoli to mm. the uh, to yeah. Eli Wallach and she's just like watching him and you don't know that it's poisoned and she just keeps looking at him and you're thinking like something's gonna happen and then there's the assassination attempt they're trying to set up a sniper at the other side of the thing to shoot Michael and there's something going on there there's a lot there's enough going on that I and it's all piling up on top of each other that I get really into it and I don't know how it's gonna end but then we have the very last scene of the whole trilogy which is Michael, in terrible old age makeup, sitting in a chair, 
And then he sort of slumps and is still. And then, like, throws himself off the chair onto the ground and presumably (laughs) dies. I was... Oh, stitches. I had tears rolling down my face. I thought it was the funniest thing. It's so bad. Well, again, I, why I, why would you include that? Why wouldn't you just cut the film? Like, yeah, it felt like they we don't have an we ending. don't need to know that. Oh yeah, and twenty years later he died. But we don't <laughs> see anything of him. We don't see like oh he's lived in complete heartache since that time. Or yeah, he just he remarried actually and then moved to Sicily and added another family. Like <laughs> we, don't, yeah. we don't we don't know anything about it. So it's just it's kind of meaningless. Yeah. Uh, except like oh, and then he died later. Yeah, yeah. It's. I guess he's alone. Maybe that's supposed to mean something. He died alone. But it doesn't mean anything. Like in that context, it's like maybe he was alone for those five minutes. Like, yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe he, you know, and then his, alone every his grandson then. comes running up with a spray can. He did have. He had some kind of. Uh, did he have an orange on him when he fell over? I remember there was some uh, thing that like bounced <laughs> along. I don't know if it was an <laughs> apple or what. Orange, People often point to this series as, you know, a, 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 an example of artistic integrity and all that and blah, 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 blah. But they were going to make a, a, a fourth one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyone know much about that? Well, it, I, I believe it basically didn't happen because the author of the, the books that had been working on the films very closely died before they had a chance to write anything. But it got so far as casting... Uh, wow! The fourth film, and Leonardo DiCaprio was cast as a young Sonny Corleone at one point. Oh, the James Caan uh, character. Mm. And yeah, uh, Robert De Niro was meant to be reprising his role, uh, along with Andy Garcia hmm. and what? What is it? Tala Shire? Is that how you say it? Talia? Oh, Talia the Shire, um, yeah. In fact, I'm reading here. Robert Duvall was meant to be coming back as well. He died, didn't he? Out. Well, yeah, but when was it going to be set? Presumably oh. flashing all over the shop, I would have thought. Mm. And Al Pacino was going to have a little cameo at the end, apparently. Uh, again, I assume, before he dies. <laughs> or or um, maybe he didn't die and he's like, going to stand up and be like, oh, <laughs> yeah. that was a funny turn. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it, it got quite far along. You know, I, I, think, I think work had begun on the script and everything. It's just that the guy hmm. died and they thought... Oh, Mario Puzo. Yeah. Nowadays, I don't think anyone would uh, give Coppola the money to do it. I think if if Coppola said, I want to make The Godfather Part 4, they would let him do it. People Mm. would be foolish not to fund that. It would make money. Yeah, that's Um, true. I think a lot of people would be like, oh, they can't let anything be, blah, blah, blah. But again, they'd be completely overlooking the fact that the third one came 20 years after the first two and that sort of thing. Although they probably then say, the third one's shit. Me, 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 me. Um, it was still nominated for a fucking load of Oscars. It was nominated for Best Picture and Best Director. Like, like I say, I'm, I'm doubling down on this opinion. I'm, I'm sticking with it. I think the third one is objectively the best of the three, the best made film. And on a subjective level, I certainly enjoy it a hell of a lot more than the first one. It's so, my yeah. favourite of the three. I don't know if I'd go as far to call it the best made constructed i i i found i was laughing more throughout the whole thing and <laughs> i enjoyed the um michael and Kay scenes but i mean i'll admit some of it is unintentionally funny because al pacino does chew the scenery but you get that in all of them 
it's unintentionally funny in the first one when Marlon Brando dies. In fact, everything with Marlon Brando is unintentionally funny. Yes, it's true. The bit with the horse's head is unintentionally funny because it looks so shit. Mm. Uh, the bit when they get gunned down and they're just being shot for like 10 years is really funny because it, <laughs> it goes on so long. It's like Sideshow Bob stepping on rakes. <laughs> <laughs> Alan, um, where do you stand on the third one when comparing it to the other ones? You're not a fan of the second one. I don't. I prefer the first one. I just find it more appealing. But I, I, I agree that the the structure of this one is probably the sanest. Um, <laughs> but it just didn't engage me enough. I, I was bored for quite a lot of it, um, and yeah, I just didn't care about the characters really. Whereas in the first one, I was much more engaged. And the second one, I, I kind of like elements of it. I just think it's quite a badly put together film. There we go. We've done it, guys. You can stop now. Should we do should we do our ratings for them just to sort of round that out? My ratings go eight six six. Oh Ooh. high That's praise. Surprisingly positive. <laughs> well like I say, I've been, I think I'm slagging them off quite a lot because they're so highly reputed, I feel like I need to redress the balance somewhat. But there right. are obviously, I mean, we have talked about a lot of elements that I really like about them. The acting, I think, is superb, and uh, for most of it, um, mm. and and a lot of the story elements really work. I just think mm. they're yeah. not, they just don't work as complete films very well. Mm. All right, I will go five seven seven. I think I will go five uh, six seven. I think I'm I was do yeah that. I, I I was so close to six for the second one it's it's hard because I think the second one is a better film than the third one but the third one was the most enjoyable to watch I like I say I th- I think if an editor if a good editor took the second film they could make a an eight out of ten film for me easy out of what they've got there it's just yeah it's bogged down with all this nonsense it doesn't need to be there and takes mm. away from it do you like The Godfather? Let's know why. <laughs> yes. We've ripped apart all the most loved <laughs> films of all time. Yeah, specifically, uh, <laughs> actually, if, if you do get in touch telling us why you like it, could you please have a better argument than, oh, you just don't get it, or you're too young, or you need to watch it again? Because that's the argument that I come up against. Like, mm. no one ever articulates a good reason why it's good. I don't, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, it, I feel like it's one of those things where people think they have to say that it's amazing and brilliant, and it's actually not. Genuinely, yeah. Yeah, like like you say, if if any listeners take umbrage to that, please do come and talk to us, because we, we genuinely would like to hear some opinions from people who want to try and explain why these are good films, because as Calvin says, it's um, difficult to put a negative opinion out there without being met by people just telling you to shut up and fuck off and and come back next week for more of the same <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so they're obviously not above making a fourth one uh, do, you, do you think they ever will do you think they'll ever touch the godfather again i can't imagine not now no you don't think sofia coppola might take a stab Ooh, at it when francis no. dies or something oh no i don't think she'd have i think it'd have to come from francis and you know Al Pacino or Randy Garcia or Diane Keaton and probably have to be involved. What about in, Nicolas you know? Cage when the when the Coppola dynasty is like mostly gone? They really are a dynasty, aren't they? It's sort of you know. Let, let's imagine Francis hears your your little rant there, Calvin, and he goes, "All right, Calvin, 
You think you're hot shit, do you? Let's see your fucking take on Godfather Part 4, you fucking piece of work. Certainly, Mr. <laughs> Coppola. Or Mr. Ford Coppola, anyway. Um, yeah, well, basically what I want to do <laughs> is uh, I want to do a mature romance comedy starring Al Pacino and Diane Keaton. Um, <laughs> uh, we're going to either ignore the ending of the third one or just we can open the film in modern day and Al Pacino is like, oh, remember when I fell off that chair that time and you all thought, <laughs> you all thought I was dead as well? <laughs> <laughs> Here we are. Um, so, so Michael Corleone is alive, and uh, we open the film as every Godfather film does with a wedding. But this time, it's uh, a same-sex wedding between um, Anthony Corleone and his partner. Now, obviously, we get all the surviving cast of the previous films back, but our main focus is on Michael Corleone and Kay Adams. Now, Kay's husband... Who no, wait, wait a minute. Re- is this... Just, just sorry, just to clarify. Is this set now? Is this a contemporary film? Yes. So how old? <laughs> so so bear in mind, the character of, uh, of Michael was born in 1920. So he's 97 years old. <laughs> His... <laughs> His gay son is about 60, 69 <laughs> and, and getting married to uh, his partner. I uh, reckon I fine. reckon Al Pacino would be up for playing a 97-year-old <laughs> version of that character. I think that sounds right up his alley. Uh, yeah, no, it's fine. Kay's husband has left her because uh, after the events of Godfather 3, wouldn't you? Like, if you were going to be involved in this kind of dreadful family. Um <laughs> But uh, Kay and Michael are civil enough with each other, and Talia Shire as Connie Corleone is back too. Now we can get lots of comedy in here as Michael encounters members of the gay mafia. Um, he thinks <laughs> he thinks they're all just like lobbyists and article writers and campaigners and that sort of thing, but it turns out they're actually just like the real mafia. And, you know, bumping people off and all that kind of stuff. Now, the head of the mafia is George Takai, who... Michael gets talking to, and uh, the pair get along fine, and George introduces Michael to his husband. The pair are really adorable together, and Michael gets jealous. He has a heart-to-heart with George and tells him that he never really got over Kay and wants to woo her back, but she'll never accept him while he's working in the Mafia still. George says, Psh, do you think my husband knows what I really do? You've just gotta, you know, try and convince her that you've given it up, but keep it a secret. Have your cannoli and eat it too. Um, or, or your rainbow wedding cake, Al Pacino will say. Do, do it in a George Takai voice. Have your cannoli and eat it too. <laughs> Quite good. Thank you. Um, so this instigates the bulk of the film, which involves various comedy hijinks of Michael dating Kay, but having to do mafia things at the same time. So, for example, <laughs> they go for a date in a fancy restaurant, but Michael finds out it's also the same restaurant where he has to kill a guy that same night. Oh my god! How does he? How does he do it? Um, like they're having a lovely horse and coach ride through Central Park while Michael is like dodging assassination attempts and the like, you know, funny stuff. So there's two hours of that. And then, <laughs> it's just uh, worth clarifying that they're both in their late nineties. So this, this <laughs> it's even more funny. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so anyway, just before, so there's two hours of that, and just before Act Three, Michael convinces his sister to go and meet Kay for a girls-only, you know, coffee or whatever, um, because he he's not quite getting 
uh, good vibes back from Kay. It's like they're having nice dates, but it's not really leading to anything more. And he feels that a bit of girl chat might reveal something. So um, Connie goes in and she has a wire on. And uh, <laughs> it, it turns out through this conversation, Kay's being very open, that Kay is actually playing the field. She downloaded an app called Tinster, which is <laughs> Tinder for spinsters into gangsters. <laughs> and oh, uh, Connie. Connie is stunned. Um, but I thought you hated the mafia life, she asks. And Kay confesses that in her old age, she's come to accept that she actually has a bit of a thing for it and is uh, coming to a time where... It's, it's coming to a time where she needs to pick which of her potential suitors she's going to be with because she's been dating several men at the same time. Now, because every Godfather film ends in a massacre, that's what we have here, where Michael goes away and kills all of Kay's potential suitors in a huge coordinated hit. But he realises that this might look very suspicious, if they all just disappear out of nowhere and don't get in touch with her. So he has to facilitate a way for the suitors to break up with her once they're dead. So for, he, he does things, for example, for one of them, he, like, forges a, a breakup note in his handwriting and, like, puts it under Kay's door. And for another one, he, um, he skins the guy and wears his skin. It's <laughs> <laughs> a sort of, um, bodysuit. And um, dumps K while impersonating this guy. <laughs> Sorry. I'm speechless. <laughs> I get my own thing. Um, but it has to be from sort of far away because if she's constantly <laughs> she'll, <laughs> she'll realise that something's up and uh, not go along with it, maybe. <clears throat> and um, yeah, after all this. Uh, Kay decides she gets wants to get back with him. So they get back together and that's the end. Cool. <laughs> so did Saul fall off his chair? <laughs> <laughs> My idea is to do a TV show set in the 30s called The Corleones, uh, which is basically mm-hmm. it's, it's the prequel to Godfather films and a sort of spiritual successor to The Sopranos. Um, it's basically just The Sopranos in the 30s, <laughs> but with the Corleone family. Obviously, we'll establish Vito as he's like now the dawn of the family, and it, the story kind of focus on uh, his children more, though. I think that'd be more interesting. So we'll have him as just the sort of the the control, like the, 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 the status quo. Uh, but so we'll time it so that we've got a teenage Sonny as the principal character, or kind of the one we focus on mostly, who's kind of coming up in the organization. So we'll see him like maybe 18, 19. He's just getting involved and he's doing these first crimes. And then like he has to, Tom Hagen has to help him out of like stuff. Like, cause he gets into trouble and Tom Hagen helps him out. And we could see Tom gets sent off to law school cause he's the smart one. And maybe Sonny's like a bit jealous of that at first, but then he kind of gets, he gets used to it. He goes to visit him at college and then he sort of realizes it's just like a party atmosphere. And so he sets up like a gambling ring with all these rich law students at uni. I'm just throwing out yeah. like plot ideas that could kind of happen. Yeah, and then yeah. you've got, and then you've got like Fredo will be slightly younger. He's trying to tag along with his older brother, but he's like every time he tries, they try to give him a job to do, he fucks it up. He's like the stupid one. Um, mm. And he's like really creepy with women as well. And he's like <laughs> in a kind of teenage boy sense. Hmm. Uh, 
And then, of course, you'll have a young Michael as well. So he'd be about maybe 13, something like that. And so his sort of story arc over the whole thing would be like trying to keep up with his brothers at first. And then sort of he'd see, he'll see something that's kind of makes him bulk. And it's like, oh my God, this is kind of really immoral. And so we set him on that path of, okay, I don't want to be part of this. Um, and so that's it, really. I just thought I'd scope out those few sort of major yeah. characters. But yeah, I mean, if you're familiar with The Sopranos, you, you would mm. have it as like, there's a lot of characters there. You'd have a much bigger kind of arc. But they, the overall arc, I think you stick it with Sonny because he'd be the interesting one to, to stick with in terms of the age group. Well, The Sopranos is brilliant. Anyway, you got so. All right, I've got two. Do, do you want to smash them together in a badly handled... Uh, uh, oh, yeah, maybe I should. It yeah. doesn't matter if they don't fit. But they're not, they're not particularly good ideas, so I'm hoping that having two will make up for a lack of quality. Okay. Mm. My first idea is, wouldn't it be good if it was like Blackadder and we did the Corleone family in ancient Rome, <laughs> and and you have Michael Corleone as a uh, a descendant of uh, Gaius Cassius Longinus, if I'm saying that correctly. He's one of the <laughs> one of the men who uh, who murdered Julius Caesar, who in oh. this version is is portrayed by. I think it's Gaius, not Gaius. It just gives it a different feel. <laughs> and uh, I think Julian, Julius Caesar could be portrayed by CGI Marlon Brando. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Just to, just to get him in there. I think that'd work. Eating his grapes, being fanned on the throne. He'd be up for that. <laughs> so that, that's, that's, that's one idea. Okay. And so that's intercut with this, which is my second idea. Uh, so, like, the the franchise, it's basically one big family drama, right? That's yeah. all it is. Yeah. Just people whining at people and big family get-togethers and they go wrong. So this film is a Corleone Thanksgiving and mm-hmm. everyone's coming to Al Pacino's house for the holidays, but there's loads of family tension and drama. Mm. So you've got Al Pacino there getting stressed out because he's trying to he's trying to time the turkey, but he also doesn't want to miss the uh, the American football that's on. Burning the yams. Yeah, because he's got because <laughs> he's got some he's got some money riding on it. And then you know you've got all these other family members coming. You've got you've got a couple with the relationship falling apart, just taking like little snappy digs at each other. You've got your like Trump voting older guy versus the young liberal you know hippie character so they're they're like blowing up at each other um you've got your gay kid who's not really properly being accepted into the family yet but you know it's a bit tense surrounding that there's the one who gets a bit too drunk you know and the dinner's ruined because al pacino can't cook (coughs) so so it's just a it's a nice sleek 80 minutes of uh family drama tension and it comes to a head as as Al cuts into the turkey on the table and sees that it's still frozen inside, and he, he screams and and throws the turkey into the fire, and then storms into the kitchen, and everyone gasps as they watch through the little kitchen hatch, and he, he starts grabbing bowls and eggs and a whisk, and they say, "What are you doing, Don Michael?" And he goes, "I'm gonna make you an omelet. You can't refuse." <laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs> That's been diminishing returns. <laughs> well done. Hope you're very proud of yourself. Well, that was a good part of the trilogy. Pass all the sweet and toy in the mill. 
Wasn't dying like this in the ring. 